Welcome to The Buyer's Desk, an infra podcast. We'll guide you through quick snapshots on infra trends and insights, interviews with member store buyers and brand founders, and we have curated segments from infra staff. Hey folks, and thanks for joining us on another episode of The Buyer's Desk. I'm Chris Sorensen, Promotions Program Manager. And I'm Angela Bozo, Director of Member Programs, and we are your hosts. Hey, and this month we are talking about sustainability, which is a quite a broad term and uh, interesting topic for us to go with because not only is it something that we strive for in our industry, but a lot of people tend to use sustainability as kind of a greenwashing term. So I think it'll be interesting for us to hear from some members some brands. And I'm really interested to hear the conversation that you had on Retail Talk this time around. It was a fun one. It was uh, Rachel and I. But I also think that, you know, having a big, broad theme like sustainability gave us an opportunity to talk to a really interesting retailer. You had a great brand interview. Yeah, no, I, I'm excited. I got to talk to both Bryce and Brita Lundberg from Lundberg Family Farms, and we dug into their sustainability initiatives and all the great work that they're doing. And I got to learn so much about regenerative organic, which we've been talking about a lot directly from the farmer, right from the boots in the soil. I am continually excited about hearing that one later. I got to sit down with Jason Morell, the director of grocery, and Stephanie Morris, sustainability coordinator at Jimbo's Naturally, an infra member in San Diego, California. I mean, alone, Jimbo's is pretty unusual among grocers in that they actually even have a position called sustainability coordinator. So I I love all the interesting directions that that interview went. Um, They're doing so many rad and interesting things. Um, And they definitely have a strategy around sustainability. So it's exciting to hear from them. And just like every month, I am super pumped to hear from Jim Olson at Spins. He does a great job every time taking a complicated theme like sustainability and summing it up for us in what, under three minutes? Uh This month, he brought us through some of the sustainability initiatives that we're seeing across the industry from the Regenerative Organic Alliance to upcycling. We're going to get into it with Jim, but first a word from Stasia at Megafood to learn more about their sustainability initiatives. Hello, I'm Stacia Betley, the Director of Sustainability and Social Impact at Megafood. I'm here to update you on something I care deeply about, Megafood's ongoing commitment to a healthier world. For over 50 years, Megafood has cultivated remarkable scientific expertise while crafting nutrient-rich, planet-first vitamins and supplements made with real food. We believe food grown from healthy soil is integral to nurturing a healthy planet and healthy people. As a B Corp, we take sustainability seriously. We invest in regenerative agriculture research and partner with farmers who prioritize soil health. In 2023, we'll continue to transparently evaluate everything we do from how ingredients are sourced to how we make and deliver our products. Visit us at megafood.com or follow us on social media to learn more. Here's to a healthier future for us all. Hello, I'm Jim Olson, Spins Retail Insights Manager, here with a look at the latest product trends impacting our industry. Fresh from the crowded floors of Expo West, it was evident for any attendee to see that sustainability is truly having a moment. This focus has moved to the forefront of brands' identities and narratives as they strive to match increased consumer interest and concerns. 86% of shoppers are more likely to purchase a product if the packaging is considered sustainable, and one out of two shoppers are willing to pay more for a product if they perceive it as environmentally safe. There is clearly an impassioned market for these types of products, and brands have responded in kind, 
less wasteful packaging, key certifications, and a stated respect and support for the food communities that brands pull from all play a role in consumer perception of a company's dedication to sustainability efforts. Adjustments in product packaging are a good entry point for brands aligning to this movement. Think Spinster Sisters' efforts to eliminate plastic from their entire product line, resulting in 100% biodegradable tubes for their personal care products. Or EcoKids selling their all-natural sidewalk chalk in easily compostable egg cartons. Even Vital Proteins gave up their tiny plastic scoop inside their collagen containers in an effort to reduce reliance on excess materials. Sustainability line certifications also help brands prove their commitment to the cause. The Upcycled Association had an entire booth at Expo West dedicated to showcasing their certified brands, such as Chia Smash, which uses imperfect or rejected fruit to make their jams and spreads. According to Spins data, certified upcycled sales are up 26% across the natural channel and up 37% with an infra alone. Another significant sustainability certification for brands to achieve comes from the Regenerative Organic Alliance. Simply, makers of sustainably sourced quinoa are so committed to this certification that one of their own founders was appointed to the ROA's board of directors last year. In addition to environmental and economic innovation efforts, sustainability can also be bucketed in terms of the social impacts resulting from CPG production. Consumers want to know that brands are respectful and supportive of the communities and workers their food resources come from. Good Sam, purveyors of chocolate and nut snacks from Colombia, established a direct trade model to cut out middlemen and guarantee reinvestment in infrastructure, education, and technical support for the Colombian farming communities that supply their ingredients. It should be noted that the efforts listed today do not occur overnight, and consumers and retailers alike need to show grace to brands' efforts and support the small wins as they happen. As Heather Terry, CEO of Good Sam, says, make it okay to be at different stages. My thanks to Shore Packaging and Carbon Neutral Copy for the quotes and statistics mentioned in this piece. May we all look forward to a future state in our industry where we regard sustainability as the baseline and not a goal. As always, I'll see you at the show. Hi, I'm Angela Bozo. I am thrilled today to be sitting with Jason Morrell, Director of Grocery, and Stephanie Morris, Sustainability Coordinator from Jimbo's in San Diego, California. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Awesome. Thanks, Angela. Great. Thank you for having us. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being here. I actually last month in our podcast teased that we would be talking to a founding Infra member with a very cool sustainability proposition. So I do really appreciate you both taking the time today. Um, Jason, if you don't mind, would you kick this off for us? I'm I'm kind of interested in the way that sustainability directly affects the the decisions that you make when deciding what to put on your shelves. Yeah, so I think everything, every decision that we make on every product that we bring in, it's definitely a question that we pose to each of the brands. We have some milestones, some indicators that we definitely focus on. You know, we were one of the actually the first plastic-free water island, San Diego. And transitioning over to that definitely took a huge amount of effort, you know, resources to be able to figure out what other containers are out there. How can we minimize, you know, our impact on the world? What kind of sustainability practices do each of these brands bring to the table and how does it differentiate them? Um, And that's just the water. Just looking at that, the sourcing, the transportation, there's so many different indicators that we focus on. 
and we ask questions about to every brand. We have very strict ingredient standards. And at the same time, we don't have anything necessarily 100% spelled out as far as standards for sustainability goes with our brands. But I think that it's important that we recognize that with each each and every brand that we decide to to take a look at. Um, And we do ask some of the hard questions like, hey, tell me about this packaging or, you know, what, what are your agricultural practices? How does that differentiate one brand from another? And what makes you stand out? So we want to know what those sustainability practices are, even down to the samples. Oh, I love that. And, you know, to be honest, I love that you don't have a here's my one sheet on sustainability procedures and you should read this. And because I don't know in in your experience, but I, I feel like in my experience, there's so many different ways to look at a sustainability choice and to give a brand the opportunity to speak to you about just even having some amount of conscientious thought behind it, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, uh, I know Stephanie says this a lot. It, it's it's about that path because we're not all in the same spot on that path of sustainability. And sometimes it's okay to say, listen, we aren't quite there yet, but this is where we want to head. This is where we want to be. And you know, to be honest with you, it's got to start somewhere. So when, when we have brands that are upfront and honest, we actually prefer that. So just to really put you on the spot with that feedback, can you think of an example of a brand that you said yes to because they seemed like their sustainability journey, you know, made sense and was in alignment with what you guys were wanting to do, but then you saw them make a change? Because I, I can imagine that Jimbo's has the volume that could really help someone along on that journey. Um, any yeah. brand examples? You can keep it really general if you want to. Yeah, that come I, to mind. I mean, specifically in the water, it's probably the simplest example. Uh, we used to carry a brand that was exclusively in plastic containers. And honestly, you know, we had that difficult conversation because it was definitely a great item that sold well for us, but their packaging wasn't sustainable. And it's, you know, it was contributing to, to something that we you know, wholeheartedly want to work against. So, you know, it was a difficult conversation to have. And actually two years later, exactly, this brand approached us again and said, you know what, we're in the middle of creating a glass bottle. And it's essentially in response to the fact that we unfortunately had to part ways two years prior um, because of our stance on plastic uh, water bottles. Ah, I love that so much the challenging conversation and then they come back and it's in glass. I'm hoping it's selling well. Yes. Yeah, it does. Well. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, it completely closes the loop. Awesome. So Stephanie's here with us today as well. I know you and I chatted for a minute before we pressed record about, um, you know, it's pretty unique for a grocer to, to have anyone at all with the title sustainability coordinator. Um, it's easy for me to, you know, let our listeners know like what Jason does in terms of grocery buying. And that actually tends to be our audience, but Stephanie, if you wouldn't mind taking a couple of minutes and kind of telling me, like, what what is your role? What is what does it look like every day? How are you supporting, you know, both grocery and kind of the whole store? I will try to summarize <laughs> as best that I can. I think Jason did a great job of touching on how, like, there's no one way to do sustainability. I think everybody is aware of that at this point, which is both a pro and a con of the industry and just utilizing the, the word sustainability is such a buzzword the way like natural can be too. I should say that my background is actually in education um, and I just have a really strong passion for sustainability and local food systems. And I've been in this position, it'll be three years in July 
And a lot of what I do centers around our community partnerships. Most of our sustainability programs obviously are run by staff on the floor. So a lot of my job is making that culture and community very apparent and clear. And I think just being able to have somebody with the title and a representative of sustainability helps. I talk to our new hires. I manage our food rescue programs and all of our food diversion programs. I try to track and improve and understand where we're falling short, how we can do better, what it is that we're doing that um, we're doing well at. Packaging is a big deal. It's really, really difficult to choose what is the air quotes like right packaging. But I try my best to educate staff and buyers about the kinds of things you can consider as far as the full life cycle of packaging that is within our control and without our control. You know, we have some pull as far as vendors go, but internally, what are we doing with our packaging and where do we want to go? Kind of trying to build that trajectory towards a more circular system, talking about reuse, talking about supporting recycled content and getting people to bring their own containers has been a big deal. But yeah, my job it encompasses quite a bit, but I'm super lucky because at Jimbo's we've been natural, organic, non-GMO since our founding. And so that foundation of sustainability is there. It's more about like teasing it out and making it known and measuring our impact and educating on where we could do better. I love that. I love too that your health department will let your consumers bring their own containers. Do you have limitations on that? Can they do that in the deli and bulk and all the things? Yeah, it's a work in progress for sure. It's been really difficult. I mean, I'm coming up on three years this summer. So that means I started mid 2020, which made things really challenging. Um, Just even now that most of the regulations, like the extra precautions have been dropped at this point, it's been really challenging. And what I want to focus on before we dive too deep into like how and what departments can comply with the health department regulations, I want to make sure that, you know, our customers are educated and comfortable and like ready to support these programs should we roll them out. So that's been a big, big conversation, actually, even between Jason and I earlier today. Um, we're talking about, okay, you know, do we do glass containers? Do we have them bring our containers back to us? Do we allow all containers? We're really lucky in San Diego too. Like there's a strong community focus around reuse. And there are a couple really great zero waste shops in in San Diego that we're honestly learning a lot from and hoping to support and look to when we, when we're able to expand our own reuse programs. I love that. Yeah, though, there have been a couple of that have kind of come up and failed. And then, you know, it's like, I, I'm interested to see where this, there has been kind of a crop, you right, since 2019 that is trying again. And that's exciting. Do either, either one of you are welcome to answer this one, but any kind of like packaging innovations or things that you've seen in the last year that you were like, oh my gosh, that's so great. Someone is doing that, like something new to your radar that could be on other people's radar. I think a lot of trends start on the West Coast and then kind of move their way in our direction. Yeah, we met with a coffee brand just the other day that has a 100% consumer compostable bag, but uh, really, really cool. And then, you know, literally maybe two hours after we met with that founder, there was a company that was introduced to us and they're actually packaging their tea in the exact same packaging. So to see that same package and we had never seen it before come up within, you know, hours of each other was really, really cool. Awesome. Yes. Consumer compostable. It feels like there's a big wide world there and it's awesome to see people actually using it, particularly in 
you know, like the coffee and tea category where there are so many other sustainability tenants that those companies can do in terms of the way that they grow and source. Yeah. And so it's like packaging is like this final frontier, like right. the, the consumer delivery method. Let's make it as awesome as possible. Um, when you were thinking about this interview today, was there anything you were like, I definitely want to make sure I tell Angela about the following just so that I don't miss anything? I mean, you guys just recently had a really cool episode on regenerative organic, but we have a program that's more sort of with the buying and the marketing side, but I definitely am involved a little bit with our soil program. And that's our version of like calling out brands that are using regenerative practices. They might not be rock certified yet, but our marketing team does a really, really good job of um, interfacing with brands that we already carry and talking to them about what their practices are, just like Jason described with sustainability, just opening the conversation and learning how everybody is doing the next best thing, which in some could argue is regenerative organic. Yeah, our soil program has multiplied tenfold uh, over the past few months. It's pretty amazing to see these brands come on board. Regenerative organic certified, it's a great indicator, absolutely. I think speaking to the fact that like we have this culture that has an emphasis on the past. These are brands that are walking that path. I love that. I would actually, if anyone asked me if I knew of a grocer that did a really good job telling their story, as well as the story of things on their shelf, Jimbo's would absolutely come to mind. And I just have to say, A, I can tell that you both, you know, care personally, which is awesome. But I also love how many times you guys have kind of talked about the path or the journey during this conversation, because it's not super simple. And holding anyone's hand while they're at least trying to fight the good fight is incredibly inspirational. So I really appreciate both of your times today. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Angela, I really loved hearing from Jim as always. And that memory interview with Jason and Stephanie was awesome. But back to what Jim said, I really thought it was interesting that he stated one of those statistics that one out of two shoppers will pay more if they perceive that product to be environmentally safe, which it's good for the people doing the good work, right? That are creating good products and that. But to me, that also says that people that are greenwashing, that seems to be, you know, one of those things that can, can be confusing to consumers because they don't know which way to go, right? Yeah, I mean, it really brings up for me two things. One, brand perception versus reality is, is a real thing for consumers. And two, you know, and I probably sound like a broken record on this, but we ask shoppers to make so many decisions while they are in our stores. And anything that they can find that will help them differentiate between 16 feet of what actually is probably, you know, one skew, th those are really important. And and if, it, if, if someone is really valuing something they consider to be environmentally safe, or if they just feel like, sure, if I have to make a decision, I'll definitely make a decision here. That makes complete sense to me. Yeah, totally. And I think it's us as retailers, right, that we're the trusted source and and our consumers trust us. Um, so I can't wait to hear from you and Rachel coming up you know, and, and what you guys talk about considering sustainability at Infra. Uh, so I think that's great. But first, we're going to hear from Alexa at World Centric and the great work that they're doing around sustainability. Do you wonder how sustainable your grocery options really are? The majority of U.S. shoppers believe that grocery stores are not doing enough when it comes to implementing real, environmentally friendly practices, like offering compostable packaging. It's estimated that 71% of millennials feel positive toward companies that only use packaging that is compostable. 
My name is Erin Levine. I am the Resource Recovery Manager at WorldCentric. We are creating plant-based and commercially compostable tableware and packaging. Everything from takeout containers for your grab-and-go department to consumer packaged plates, cups, and utensils for your paper goods aisle. We donate 25% of our profits each year to nonprofits around the world, making an impact at the intersection of extreme poverty and climate change. Who knew a box of forks could be so impactful? For more information, please visit us online at worldcentric.com and follow us on social media at worldcentric. Hi, I'm Angela with the Retail Talk segment. Today, I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Rachel, as we tackle a couple of issues that involve with sustainability and grocery retail. How's it going today, Rachel? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. No problem. Um, would you just do a, a quick overview of uh, a little bit of the work that you're doing at InfraNow? Maybe like a, a more formal introduction than my, my friend and colleague? Uh, my name's Rachel Como. I am currently the business programs manager. I've been with Infra for a little over six years now in a number of different roles. Um, but right now I primarily work on business partnerships that bring discounts and savings to our members. I also recently completed a uh, certificate of sustainability with uh, UCLA Extension so I am very passionate in that area and um, just wanted to further my knowledge. I love that. Thinking about having a little retail talk segment where we talked about sustainability, I was doing a little deep dive into a couple of articles and realizing that the average American consumer really does not believe a lot of the things that grocers say specifically about sustainability and that there is so much information out there reminding the American consumer how much energy the grocery store uses, which I will say some of those charts where it showed like electric usage on the part of the grocery store as compared to, you know, hundreds of cars on the road was was hard. You know, I think about our members and how they are trying to sell natural foods and do what they can for their communities, but they still have to refrigerate the items in their stores. And so like what a hard challenge that can be to kind of balance operations and just inherent impact. To that end, you and I had talked to a company called the Ratio Institute. Do you want to give us a little bit of an overview about what they do? They are a nonprofit organization that provides store level solutions that increase sustainability while also reducing operational costs. I like that so much, too, because I feel like for some people, sustainability is its own thing. But also anytime anybody can get their electric bill down, that also feels like an awesome win, especially for grocers. So in addition to a company like Ratio Institute that can help people not only save a little bit of money and increase their sustainability, I know you and I have been working together on a couple of other simple things grocers can do on the sustainability front. Yeah, well, you know, food waste is a is a, lo- a big topic that a lot of people are talking about. We, I know, recently talked to a company called Too Good To Go, and they work with retailers and restaurants as well to resell those items that would generally be wasted. So those companies are still getting income while also diverting items from landfills. Yeah, I think it's very cool the number of companies that are coming up with like an app interface that directly talk to consumers. You know, again, for something that has a like a variety of benefits to the grocery store, not only are they able to take something that would have also been shrink or waste and actually sell it, 
But this this app is theoretically also driving traffic into their stores. So like win-win kind of depending on which one of those items you feel like is more important for your business. For sure. In addition to food waste too, I know we talk and think a lot about packaging. It's very hard to think about (laughs) any amount of sustainability at the grocery store without just, you know, center store alone looking around at all of the boxes. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely two areas when it comes to that. There's those companies that might be doing more innovative packaging. So they're using maybe some uh, compostable items in their packaging. And then, you know, there's also... The area that you're thinking about recycling of packaging and a ton of that packaging, a lot of those pouches for dry and wet food, those can't be recycled. And so there are companies like TerraCycle that are doing really awesome things in that area to collect those hard to recycle items and turning them into something different. In some communities, they're doing like play areas that out of those recycled items, they're doing shopping baskets. So they're they're a really awesome company. I love that. I'd like to see more recyclability, more like transparency to that stream, because I know we've all gotten a lot of information about like how much is recycled, how much is actually working. So I think a company like that, that is really transparent about what they're doing is can be really powerful. It's hard to talk about packaging, though, without, you know, highlighting the bulk aisle just a little bit. I know so many of our members have bulk departments. It is like a key part of the natural grocery proposition. I mean, a freshness of ingredients, but there's also a sustainability component to that. Thoughts on the bulk aisle? Yeah, well, I think actually you recently went to Expo and saw one of our partners that is trying to do something in that space. So we have a relationship set up already with a company called Begito. And they offer our members a discount on their reusable bags that members can get logoed or just sell in their store. They also are doing some storage bags that they are specifically setting up for bulk. So you can get those logoed, have those available. It's a really great way to educate consumers on a really easy way to reduce your waste in that area of bulk. Yeah, I think for a long time, people thought that consumers would be hard pressed to get a reusable container and then bring it back to the store, Um, which also makes me think about Loop, which is the reusable packaging or yeah, it is reusable packaging, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. They are working um, in some of the larger retailers, maybe like Walgreens, CVS in the Northeast, they're working in Giant where, yeah, they are distributing those same items that they would, you know, normally carry. It's just in a packaging that they also offer for the consumer to return to the store. And it goes right back into that circularity of the production of their product. I really liked them. And I felt like it was cool when we talked to them because they said, you know, any vendor that is interested in coming up with reusable packaging in our stream um, you know, you could call them and they could talk to you about where you're where you are and where you could be in terms of reusable packaging and kind of walk the vendor through what that life cycle could look like. So I just I thought that it was very cool that they were supporting both the vendor community and the consumer community in terms of figuring out the reusable piece, because also very challenging project as any like sustainability logistics would be. And so that is why they are 
honing in on specific partnerships in really specific areas of the country. But um, I don't know. It's super inspiring to see somebody kind of fight the good fight on that level. Yeah. And I definitely I think it's the future of packaging. So, you know, we were at that point once where you would get your milk delivered by the milkman in a glass bottle. And, you know, that's we we see that circling back. So you'll see those glass bottles of milk and creamer in the store that you bring back and then they go right back to the producer. I love that. It's like a return to kind of, you know, traditional, I don't know, traditional food acquisition, (laughs) which I think we also see that when we think about some of the products, you know, you mentioned Expo West really quickly. It's like when we were there, it's like there was a whole category of people using old school methods uh, to not only produce things, but also kind of older school ingredients, like kind of going back to our our roots, which I, I like a lot. We did have kind of a winding conversation here, Rachel. We like touched <laughs> yeah. on like a number of things. Uh, anything like when I was like, hey, join me on the podcast so we could talk about sustainability. <laughs> Is there anything at all that you like definitely wanted to mention that like we didn't talk about today? So yeah, we did jump around a lot. Um, I think I just like to say that there is huge potential when it comes to this area of sustainability. And, you know, there's there's a lot of different avenues that you can look at as far as operations go. And for our members, we'll just be looking out for any of those opportunities that come up that we can see bring value. Totally agree. Thank you so very much for your time today. And to um, anyone listening, you know, anything on the sustainability front that you're doing at your store or with vendors, please feel free to reach out. uh, Let us know. Like we would love to put more companies on our radar and more ideas about how grocery retail and the vendor buying proposition can become more sustainable. Thank you so much, Rachel. Angela, that was so great. I love hearing from Rachel. She's awesome. I, I love that she's all about sustainability. I, even, you know, at the infra offices, she helped develop us being able to recycle all the packaging stuff that comes in with the samples that we get at the office. So she's always been at the forefront of that with infra, which I think is great. And the return of the milkman, I love that. <laughs> that is so great. Um, and the ways that companies can innovate and be more sustainable, they just never fail to fascinate me. Oh, I agree. And Rachel's great on that project as well, because she is taking something that we continue to refer to as kind of complex and broad and just really, you know, honing in on like, okay, great. What are the resources? Where are they? And like, how can we present them in a way that will make them accessible to more people? Yeah, that's awesome. All right, Chris, though, I think that the highlight of this episode for me is your Lundberg interview. The part where um, Bryce was talking about how he likes to go out and irrigate with his daughter (laughs) and just like really talking to people that are like balancing farming and business and basically doing all the right things. This is I'm I'm just so excited to share this. Oh, and you have to check out their videos on Instagram. I just have to plug that. They're adorable. Oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) I think we just need to get into the interview. You got to hear from them. Uh, But first, we're going to hear from Jody Berry, the founder of Wild Carrot Herbals and how sustainability has been their guiding light for running their business. Hi, I'm Jody Berry, founder and formulator of Wild Carrot Herbals. For 23 years now, the word sustainability has been a guiding light for my company. We package our botanical skincare in glass. Our lids are 100% recyclable metal made in the US. We source FSE certified paper stock from the mill just up the road, supporting small family timber operations. We formulate with plants that we can source in our bioregion, 
and always choose organic if possible, asking ourselves, how much growth is enough? Who do we want to grow with? We intentionally decided to partner with Infra and to support our community of independent natural food retailers. We too are pioneering folk doing business in our own unique way. We know that goods that aren't mass produced and that are touched by human hands are a rare offering that people want to support real people. We know that you and your customers will feel the love and intention inside each and every container. Check out our website, www.wildcarrotherbals.com to learn more. It's my pleasure to welcome Brita Lumberg, communications manager and fourth generation farmer at Lumberg Family Farms, and also Bryce Lundberg, board member and vice president of agriculture at Lumberg Family Farms, and also third generation rice farmer. Welcome to the buyer's desk, Brita and Bryce. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. It's what a treat to be here. Thank you for including us today. Thanks so much, Chris. We're looking forward to talking with you. Awesome. Well, I want to kick off right with our, our first question. Uh, I know that Lumbery's legacy of sustainability stretches all the way back to its founding in the late 1930s. So being a father-daughter duo in this business, can you tell me about your family lineage and what it's like for each of you, like growing up immersed in this world? Rita, let's start with you. Sure. Well, a lot of people don't realize that we're actually a real farm and a real family. But in 1937, my great-grandparents, Albert and Francis, left Nebraska in the wake of the Dust Bowl with their four sons, a flatbed Chevy truck and a farm all tractor, because they were worried that the tractors in California would be no good. <laughs> but during the Dust Bowl, Albert and Francis saw how short-sighted farming techniques stripped the land of its topsoil, which is that uppermost layer of soil that produces something like 95% of the world's food pretty important. And during the Dust Bowl, it all sort of blew away from the Midwest. It was the Great Depression and farmers across the Midwest were desperate to turn a profit when wheat prices were tumbling, which led to overplowing and land development. Essentially, farmers pushed the land to produce too far. And by the early 30s, it had nothing left to give. On top of that, they were experiencing severe drought. And then came the dust storms. My great grandma Frances would regale our family with stories of dust storms rolling across the plains. And as they approached, she would stuff the windows and doors with wet rags to try to keep the dust out. But it didn't matter. Everything was covered and it wreaked havoc on the farm too. So when they moved to California, Albert and Francis decided to do things differently, to work in partnership with nature, not against it. Or as my great grandpa Albert said, to leave the land better than he found it. Awesome. Well, Chris, I, I grew up just right here in the little town of Ridgefail. It's where my grandparents came in the 30s. It's a little Swedish community, and uh, it's changed a lot, but really not that much. It's, it was about 200 people then, and it's about 200 people now. And I grew up in the house my grandparents built in the 30s. It was right in front of the farm shop. And so as a kid, you know, I could just go out the door and go back to the farm shop and see what was going on. You know, one of our Fun things was when the implement cart was back there, you could, you know, turn the uh, chains up and ride them all the way up and then pull the uh, switch. And then, you know, that was like a roller coaster ride out there in Richvale was ride the, the plow cart down uh, uh, on the chains. But, my, you know, one of the fabulous things was just come home from school and my dad would tell us to hop in the truck and we'd go out to the fields and, and spend time out there. And it really just was immersed in growing up on the farm. Well, I want to get into our next question because I know um, in 1969, Lundberg planted their first organic crops. 
Then in 73, you helped found the California Certified Organic Farmers, you know, CCOF. And then you all helped found the non-GMO project in 2007. So to me, it seems like Lundberg has always been on the leading edge of the organic movement. Regenerative Organic Certified seems like the next logical step for Lundberg. So Bryce is a long, lifelong farmer. What are your thoughts on Regenerative Organic Certified? Is, is something like that the future? Great question, Chris. Um, you know, I do think it is the future. I think our um, customers, the retailers who are wanting to buy our products, I think are looking for that next, that next kind of level of, of farming and engagement. You know, when the organic community was, uh, was starting, you know, I think we, we were really focused on the soil and, and a transition to organic. I think there are many in our community who are looking for not just the soil, but for an engagement with animal and wildlife, and then also with uh, kind of fair trade practices and, and our um, taking care of the, the people who, who are part of the team. And, and I think that is really where regenerative organic certification is going. Chris, I think of organic in many ways as a continuum. And the USDA organic set a floor or a minimum, and, and you have to meet that. But so many farmers practice farming practices, rotations, all sorts of um of farming practices that elevate the farm and, and the products, the food that they produce. And, and I think of regenerative as a, a mark on the, um, on the organic continuum that is a mark that many organic farmers will meet, uh, but and some will need to aspire to. But as we've engaged with regenerative organic certification, we've been affirmed that our long-term organic practices meet those, that higher bar and meet that, uh, that level that we aspire to. And I think many of our customers want us to aspire to. That's great to hear. Cause yeah, it, it, like you mentioned, it is that, you know, going beyond organic and those additional pillars of, you know, farmer welfare, animal welfare, and the other things that the USDA organic seal doesn't quite capture in its certification. And from knowing about Lundberg, Y'all are there and, and you guys do that work. And it seems like your family's done that for generations. So it's interesting to see how that certification is kind of coming along, like you said, to affirm the work that you guys are already doing. So that's that's great to hear. Brita, I want to know from from your standpoint, how do you see that that ROC, certainly you know, the, the regenerative organic certification impacting the retail side of things? Well, I think, as my dad said, you know, retailers are, are looking for regenerative products and consumers are looking for them, too. But there's currently no regulatory or legal definition set forth to claim regenerative practices. So there's a lot of confusion out there and certifying bodies are beginning to emerge, including the Regenerative Organic Alliance, to create standards like Regenerative Organic Certified that substantiate such claims. But we believe the development of regenerative organic standards like those will help hold the industry accountable and build consumer trust. You know, we chose to work with the Regenerative Organic Alliance to certify our regenerative organic white basmati rice. And we're also working really closely with them and other certifying bodies to develop standards for California grown rice because we believe regenerative systems are often context specific. 
And certification should not be treated as one size fits all. You know, it's highly dependent on region and, and soil type and surrounding ecosystem. And and so we're excited um, to be working with certifying bodies like Regenerative Organic Alliance to develop regenerative organic standards. Awesome. That That's great to hear. So finally, what's one thing that each of you want us to know about your family that all of these accolades and press and certifications and all the great things you do don't tell us? Things that we may not find if we go do a Google search for the Lundbergs. Accolades, press and certifications are nice, but at the end of the day, we're farmers. We're not status seekers. We do this because we love it and it's our family legacy. And as a fourth generation member of the family, it just feels like a real privilege to, to be part of this. I think, yeah, but what I would like people to know is we are a farm and we are a family. Often the best part of my day is toward the end of the uh, afternoon is asking Brita if, if she'd like to go out and, and irrigate. I love, ir- you know, I love caring for the soil or caring for the farm and caring for the fields. Uh, there is a farm that is my responsibility to, uh, to take care of the rice every year. And I love doing that, right? And it, as much as we have a business to run, getting in the pickup, having a shovel, getting in, in, in hip waders and, uh, and, and walking the fields, reading the rice, reading the weeds, looking at soil health, working at in the wet winter, draining the cover crops um, is the best part of the day. And, uh, and it was what we kind of live for. Yeah, uh, I will second that for sure. There's an old saying, you know, the, the best fertilizer is the farmer's shadow. There's really no substitute for being out there in your fields. And it just happens to be my favorite part of the gig too. You know, um, I left the farm for, for a bit. I moved to New York City and worked in book publishing for several years. And I'd be sitting at my desk at 10 at night and my dad would be sending me, you know, a video of the fields and, and maybe a flock of pelicans in it one day, you know, a turtle in it the next. And, and I just thought, you know, I'm doing this wrong. <laughs> Um, but I think sometimes it takes leaving home to to realize what you left behind. And there's just something special about being part of a family and being part of a farm and what we do. Chris, you know, Breach and I, I'm a part of the third generation and, and Breach is part of the fourth. There were, you know, a, 11 original members of my generation. Of course, that's close to double now because we all, many of us have spouses. And then in your generation, Brita, there are how many? You're putting me on the spot. Yeah, right. Fifteen or uh, or eighteen. I think that sounds right. And you know, we're a family farm with forty family members that that own and and work together to have Lundberg Family Farms. Some work here every day and, and have pickups and uh, and shovels and and drive tractors. Others do their part in, in different parts of the country or different parts of the world. But I would say they're all engaged and all come back to make sure that Lundberg Family Farms is is doing what they would expect us to be doing. And then one of the challenges, Chris, that every family business has is transitioning, right? There's a transition to organic that farmers do, but the transition from second to third generation from my generation happened uh, quite a few years ago, but we're in the middle of the transition from third to fourth. And it's it's a really important time. It's a critical time uh, uh, for every family farm and every family business that often they'll split apart and break it up into different pieces. But our goal has been to keep it together and working as a large family, multi-generational family, 
committed to to the principles and ideals that our grandparents started in the 30s. We want to make it to at least 100, right? We're going to do it. <laughs> well, I, I, I hope you do. I mean, you guys are just listening to you. It's so inspirational. You guys are the real deal. Your family really is. I just want to thank you guys for joining us. It's been great getting to know you both and to learn more about your family and uh, really learn about the Lundberg legacy. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, Chris. And with that, April's episode is in the catalog. Our next episode is all about fair trade. We're going to have Fair Trade America on Retail Talk, and I will be interviewing Emily Cantor from Cambridge Naturals about their commitment to fair trade. And I talked to Manish Gupta of Mater Bumi, and we talked about the challenges he's faced, how the business has lifted up small artisans in India, and who otherwise would have given up their craft, and how they've helped enrich those communities, which I think is absolutely amazing. So I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Well, folks, that's it for this episode of The Buyer's Desk. Thanks to Angela for co-hosting, and I appreciate the contributions from Infra staff, Infra members, and Infra vendors for helping to make this episode happen. I appreciate all of you who listened this far, and I hope to see you next month for another episode.